0: Thank you for joining us for the sixth episode of the RC Podcast. This is Robbie Griswold. I'm excited to introduce you today to the newest member of the RC faculty, Sasha Krasno, who is joining the Arts and Ideas team here and the Center for Middle Eastern and North African Studies in El Sine. Shortly after moving from Southern California to Ann Arbor, she stopped in for an interview with me at my office. Were you always going to be an academic? Uh, were you thinking of other things? Um... And how did that transition go for you?
1: I studied undergrad um, at the University of Washington in Seattle and I did my degree in psychology um, and so that was basically coming out of feeling like yes I love the arts but that's sort of this fun thing I do on the side when I was in high school I um, made art I was mostly a, a draftsman or draftswoman or drafts person and enjoyed that but then sort of stopped doing that when I got to college um, largely due to a loss of time I think um, and so I, I studied psychology that was something I I was always interested in, um, I was always like the go-to person in high school that all my friends came to talk to about their problems. So it just seemed like, sure, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm going to go do. So I got a BS honors in psychology and um, worked in a lab, um, worked with um, kind of like a childhood intervention and looking at depression and things like that um, in children. And, um, what the four years of doing that taught me was that while I am quite capable at doing that, I, um, wasn't interested in doing it. So I left college, um, I moved back to Los Angeles where I was from, where I'd grown up going, okay, that was useful. Um, but that's not what I want to do. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I really went kind of the opposite route of, um, of, of kind of statistics and stuff like that. And, um, I was kind of sick of spreadsheets, though, of course, spreadsheets, you realize later on in life, come up in no matter what you do. Um, But so I went and worked in fashion for two years, and I worked for a wholesale clothing showroom in Los Angeles, basically selling mostly European clothing lines to stores in Southern California.
0: Wait, I got to stop you. Yeah. So (laughs) were you always interested in fashion, question number one, and does a lingering love of fashion stay with you now?
1: Yeah, I think I was. I was always interested in playing with clothes. And I think what really spurred this kind of making it into a career move um, was that my senior year of college was this is going to date me um, when the the first year of Project Runway came out. (laughs) And so I loved watching that show. And I started just sketching designs to go along with it. And so I had this idea that maybe I'd go back to school and become a fashion designer or something like that. Um, Though eventually I hit the same roadblock with that that I did with my art practice, which is that I had ideas in my head, but I wasn't very good at executing them um, in reality. Um, And yeah, I definitely think that fashion is something I'm still in today. Um, I like deviating somewhat from um, kind of the standard rote, um, what maybe is expected or something like that.
0: I think I remember you saying that you worked trade shows. What are those about?
1: So working at a show where people who own stores would come see the next collection and place orders for their store and stuff like that. And so I got to... um, go to New York usually twice a year to do that. Um, And then a couple of times they even flew me to Paris to work the trade show out there. But that's also when I fell in love with New York. Um, And while I appreciated the more creative side of working in the fashion industry, it just wasn't really fulfilling um, kind of that intellectual um, itch that I still had. Um, So I came back from a trip one time. Um, when I'd worked at the Trade shop in New York, and I was sort of raving about New York and talking about an exhibition I'd seen at the Guggenheim, and um, then went on a trip to my favorite museum in Los Angeles, which is the Norton Simon in Pasadena. And I was talking to my dad about this, and he just sort of turned to me and was like, "Well, you know, I always thought you would do something with art," and I was like, "All right." Um, so, <laughs> so this was this was I think like August or something like that of whatever year it was, two thousand six maybe. Um, and I realized quite quickly that if I wanted to kind of get on this, I'm very kind of type A, um, that if I wanted to kind of get on this and decide to go back to school and study art history, that I was going to have to take the GRE in like two weeks. So I crammed for two weeks and I took the GRE and in less than a year, I was in New York at Hunter College, um, starting my master's in art history. And so that's really where I took the turn back to art history, um, and so I did my master's out there, and while I was doing that, since my background before that hadn't been in the arts at all, um, what was really great about that program is that it really catered to people who had full-time jobs, so I was able to do internships and things like that. Work for I worked from everything from a catalog resume project, which is a project that catalogs every work of art by an artist um, ever. <laughs> so I worked on that project um, for Hans Hoffman, who's an abstract expressionist, and um, And I worked um, for um, a gallery for two years after I graduated. I did internships at the Guggenheim and at MoMA. Um, So I got kind of a a nice breadth of experience. Um, And then when I graduated, worked for um, a gallery in um, Chelsea in New York for another two years. And this was a um, big name gallery, a Barbara Gladstone gallery in New York and um, she had a lot of artists I had started getting interested in artists from the Middle East and Shirin Nishad is one of the artists that's represented um, by them who's probably the most well-known Iranian contemporary artist today Um, And so that was really kind of my foray into getting to work with more contemporary artists. I'd been working with still living, well, some of them were still living artists um, on my master's thesis. I had worked um, on German contemporary artists, and I'd wanted to go more contemporary. Um, And it was while I was finishing writing my thesis that I traveled to the Middle East for the first time um, and came back kind of really interested in what was going on there, in particular the politics of Palestine. And so during those two years while I was working at the gallery, I sort of was still interested, still interested interested in trying to figure out what to do with it um, and eventually decided that I I had to kind of find a way to um, force have someone force me to work on this for a very long period of time and that going into a PhD program seemed like the easiest way to do that Um, and so that's when I went to UCSD in the fall of 2011 was when I started and then I um, defended my dissertation in December of last year 2017 and officially graduated in the spring of
0: 2018 so you're quite fresh
1: yes Yes, brandly a newly minted uh, PhD yes (laughs)
0: well wow, what i love about your your pathway is that i think it'll speak to a lot of our students and a lot of our alums cuz so many rc students have done kind of what you've done they have like four interests and they don't know which one to start with and they they choose one and then and then you know I'll, we hear back from our alums so many times that they were going into this one field. They loved it. And at some point, they realized they could love something else more as opposed to hating the field they were in. And then they sort of veer and go to a different direction and do that for a while. And then might even circle back somewhere in between, like halfway through life. Um, I think that's one of the things that draws students to the RC is, is a omnivorousness about, about academics, about their studies, about what they might want to look into and go into. And they find in the RC a number of classes and offerings that kind of foster this, wide breadth of interest. And so I I would like to learn more about why you wanted to be here and teach here.
1: I mean, I think that like interdisciplinary nature and thinking about um, core classes, less about like a core set of content that you need to know and more about a core set of skills. And there are multiple different content ways to kind of get those skills and practice those skills is something that uh, was really appealing to me about the RC. And I think that that's something that especially today, I mean, people no longer Get a job out of school, and that's the job you have for your entire life. Like that's just—it's not even possible, let alone something that I think is appealing to people anymore. And so, with with that, you know, my psychology degree—it's not like I'm using maybe a lot of the content of the courses that I studied when I was an undergrad, but the skills I use constantly. Again, I still have to use spreadsheets, but also things like writing um, the language that I studied both in high school and in college. Um, My French is something I still use in my research today. Um, I mean, writing, I have to say is the biggest, biggest one. Um, I, and the, you know, first year seminars and, and the, the breadth of different writing styles, um, shows you just how important writing is, um, And so those having those skills then lets you be able to translate that into a variety of different things. And so I think what's also really like rewarding about the way the RC is set up in this interdisciplinary nature is that it shows you the variety of different ways you can use these same skills so that if you change your mind about what you want to do or if down the road you end up, you know, having to switch careers or something like that, you're much more adept at seeing how these skills are translatable to a variety of
0: different things. You live and breathe the liberal arts from language and writing. I think you'll find that the RC is a great place to be. Uh, what will you be teaching here this semester?
1: Yeah, so for the fall, um, I'm teaching a first year seminar called um, "Representing Islam," um, and that class um, obviously is uh, based in a writing class. And in terms of content, is really um, interested in looking at. Uh, representations of the Islamic world and of Muslims that are being portrayed across contemporary media, um, largely by Muslims. Um, so a lot of, um, what we see, especially on TV and in Mm -hmm. movies are portrayals of this part of the world or individuals from this part of the world or this faith, um, from kind of Hollywood or, you know, a Western perspective. And it's rarer that you're getting that perspective from, um, Muslims themselves, or that you're exposed to content from the Islamic world. Um, And so that's what this course is really going to focus on, again, across all media. So looking at everything from TV and film to fashion, um, music literature, plays, um, graphic novels, video games, um, really everything. Um, The second course that I'm teaching is um, called Intro to Arts of the Islamic World. So the approach that I'm taking with that course is rather than try and say this is a comprehensive look at everything that was made in this time period, is to go chronologically and look at questions that were of interest among artists and um kind of cultural producers in each time period and then look at kind of case studies look at examples of the kinds of work from that um, and as part of that we'll be going to the kelsey museum um, to look at some objects as well in person and then the third um it's not really a class but i'm also working on a film series um, that will be 10 films from the um con- kind of contemporary cinema from the islamic world that will take place on tuesday evenings um, in the Benzinger library um, from seven to nine um, throughout the course of the semester. And that will just kind of be a variety of uh, films from different parts of the Islamic world, some documentary, some animated, um, some just kind of cinematic fiction um, to just give a little taste um, of what film coming out of these places uh, looks like today.
0: Yeah, and that film series, I believe, is open to all students within the University of Michigan, as well as those of you listening who might be local. You also, if you can get into the building, uh, are welcome to join us at the Benzinger. Uh, I think they start on... September 18th, I think, is the first one. Is that right? Um, I think that's a Tuesday. Yep, September 18th. Sounds
1: right. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> Great.
0: And um, what I hear you say in terms of like, the fact that your courses will look at various art forms and, um, and you're really looking at the ideas of the times and sort of like the zeitgeist and like the, the prevailing cultural themes that are manifesting differently in different forms of art, it sounds a lot like our Arts and Ideas curriculum How would you describe the benefits of studying culture from the lens of arts and ideas?
1: What's nice about arts and ideas is – and this is actually what always attracted me to art history kind of as a field – is I always I um, hated history. I was terrible at it too. Um, and the only way I understood history or it would stick with me was through art. Um, and so looking at at art broadly defined as a reflection of the cultural concerns, the things that people are interested in and um, interested in exploring and they're debating and asking questions about and they're concerned with um, – as a way to kind of like get a glimpse into either a, a time period from the past or take the pulse of a particular moment um, in the present. And so what I think is interesting about the arts and ideas is, again, like either creating your own piece of art as a way to kind of express something about yourself or looking at art made by other people to see what, you know, as just an extension of their voice. You know, what is this saying about them? What is this saying about this time? What is this saying about... Art at the time, what is the saying about the broader socio political, you know, kind of, as you say, zeitgeist of the time, like what what does this tell us um, as kind of like a, a different lens uh, through which to look as opposed to just kind of either memorizing dates or um, or other things, you know, like that. Mm-hmm.
0: As you and I have been preparing the posters for the film series, we had a good dialogue going back and forth about really being careful to choose images that would not further this monotyping that occurs with Western ideas about the Islamic world. And I read this in your syllabus as well here that you hope to complicate the stereotypes that and monotypes that are frequently propagated. I'm wondering if you can share one or two of the most common misconceptions that you see people have an aha moment over when they first start reading critical sources about Islamic culture.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, you have you have sort of kind of two branches of of what really is um, kind of the same issue, which is you'll you'll have a tendency to have individuals um, kind of think of um, the Islamic world or um, picturing, um, you know, individuals of the Muslim faith as, um, you know, either like very conservative or, you know, the women always being veiled or things like that. Um, Or like on the contrast that there, you know, that there are, there are those people, but then there are also the secular Muslims who don't do any of that stuff. And I think both of those things are, um, they're both monotypes, right? And so that, that, that really the um, Islam and people from the Islamic world are um, pluralistic and diverse in the same way that people of any faith um, are. And so you will have people who, um, you know, maybe veil, but are quite liberal or, you know, that, that, that conservatism can can mean conservative in religion, but not necessarily political. That you can't really just look at someone, and um, I mean, this is true of everyone, and and understand you know what what their background is, what their um, beliefs are, what their um, politics are, any of those things.
0: Do you have an article or two, or an important author who you would recommend that people read and study as they begin to? investigate contemporary issues in the Islamic world?
1: So um, Jessica Weingar, The Humanity Game, Art, Islam, and the War on Terror is a really interesting article that talks about the proliferation of exhibitions that took place after 9-11 of art from the Islamic world and trying to present kind of a kind of quote-unquote human face um, to kind of humanize this culture and the problematics of that as a project, um, and then in terms of kind of film and media, which I feel like is probably what most people are exposed to, things like um, like the show Twenty Four and Homeland and things like that. Um, there are two texts. Um, one is um, Jack Shaheen wrote a book called Real Bad Arabs. This is sort of, he's talking about pre-9-11 um, that's looking at representation of specifically Arabs, but he talks also about the conflation of um, Arabs and particularly the Arab terrorist and Islamic um, fundamentalism um, or the Islamic world. And so that's one of those conflations that happens is that all Muslims are Arabs and all Arabs are Muslims. Um, so he talks a bit about that, but also about the representation um, in film. And then um, um, Evelyn El-Soltani, who's here at the University of Michigan, um, she um, has a book called Race and Representation Since 9-11. I'm having students read the introduction from that. And she sort of picks up um, in some ways, where Shaheen leaves off, um, talking about specifically after 9-11, um, representations of Muslims. Um, and so those are some texts that I think are, are a great place to, to start at just understanding some of the problems that have already existed in representation. Because if you start understanding being able to recognize those things, then it's kind of a good baseline to come from. mm
0: mm-hmm one of the things that I think is so important for us to be academics now is to uh, elucidate our subjectivity and how it might or might not interfere with our ability to teach about a certain subject um, or how we use that or leverage it, or it's an element at play, no matter what, it's an element at play. Um, How do you identify in terms of your relationship to Islam and uh, what has it been like to negotiate it as an academic subject versus a personal subject for you?
1: Um, So, I myself do not identify as Muslim um, and that's definitely always something that I'm thinking about teaching about a part of the world from which I am not um, and so for me what's really important in keeping in mind is um, is that I'm not I'm not trying in my courses or in the film series to um, present kind of my interpretation of what these these individuals are um, are, are saying through their work, but rather kind of creating space for these voices. So I'm not trying to speak for this population, but, but to try and give a space where those voices have a presence, and then we can talk about what those voices are saying. Um, and so that's kind of an important distinction for, for me to make. I, I can say that I try and bring um, uh, that perspective Um, of my own experiences living in the Islamic world, doing research in the Islamic world, um, and the stories that I've been told and try and bring that into um, a classroom context.
0: I'm curious if you would weigh in on how you perceive your role to be as a facilitator helping to create an intercultural dialogue in your class. Uh, You are essentially helping to make it possible for cultures to see each other and to learn more about each other. And what do you see as your role as the as the teacher, the lecturer, the facilitator in that classroom?
1: I would go back to this idea that um, it's about creating space. Um, and so creating a space where people can maybe talk about their own experiences with a culture or um, the, the fact that This is the first time they're hearing about something that may be very connected to their own culture um, or something like that. Or, again, giving giving them the space to bring in pieces that maybe aren't covered in the course itself but that are related to the material as well. Um, I taught a course in 2015 at UC San Diego, a summer course, um, where I was the instructor of record about contemporary um, art from the Arab world. And my students, um, I asked them at the beginning of the session, you know, why they were taking the course, and a lot of them had said because there isn't um, there isn't faculty at UCSD who who work on that part of the world, and so it's not covered, especially in, in a modern contemporary sense. Um, frankly, I think beyond um, kind of the, like, ancient Egypt, I think that's the only time that part of the world is even, and it's not Islamic then, um, you know, that part of the world is really talked about in any of their classes, and so a lot of them had said, you know, Uh, You know, I'm from, you know, or my family is from, you know, some of them were international students, some of them were, um, were American students who had um, family ties back to that part of the world. We're saying, you know, this, this is, I was really excited to get an opportunity to learn about what contemporary art from this part of the world looks like, um, because there isn't another, another opportunity elsewhere. Um, and so I think that especially for incoming students to the RC, um, who maybe, you know, aren't going to be taking a ton of classes in, you know, art history, or maybe they're trying to figure out what they're going to be doing. um, if this is something that, you know, that hits on a personal level for them, um, then that's great. And that I hope that I can create a space for them to explore that in the classes.
0: I sense you're a person who always likes to keep learning. And so what research are you working on or what projects are already in motion before you moved here to Michigan?
1: Um, So I'm in the process of um, revising my dissertation um, as a book manuscript. Um, So that project looked at um, uh, contemporary Palestinian art production really after 2000, Um, so looking at the effect in particular of the period between the First and Second Intifada um, and the kind of political shifts that happened with kind of the the somewhat of the optimism that came after the Oslo Accords, um, which ended the First Intifada and the disillusionment that came out of – that was sort of marked especially by – the second intifada, um, which some people mark as sort of the, the official failure of Oslo, though it's been marked a number of times since then as well. Um, but so looking about how how that um, has changed um, what kind of contemporary art production looks like um, in Palestine. Um, and then my next project that I'm thinking of um of is is shifting location somewhat to North Africa. Um, When I was studying um, Arabic on a critical language scholarship in Morocco, um, I became really interested in the colonial influences um, on language, on dialect. So the North African dialects of Arabic, um, because the Arabic dialects vary quite quite drastically in some places um, is very influenced by French in particular um, because of the colonial history and in, um, in much of the North African countries. And so I was very interested in kind of the power dynamics of language and things like that. So I've been looking um, at North African artists um, who have been doing uh, work about language and about choices in language and You know, why people choose to use a certain language in certain contexts and what um, it means to speak in an indigenous language, what it means to adopt a different language, um, generational loss of language and things like that. So I think the ultimate project will expand beyond North Africa. But that's that's kind of my starting point for that project.
0: This is my last question for you, Sasha. Uh, What would you like to ask students for who might be listening to this podcast?
1: What I kind of would like to put out into the world but I'd be interested in, in hearing from RC students eventually is what sort of things they'd like to see in the RC um, coming from, you know, uh, now that there is a, a presence of um, Islamic art and in, um, in the lecture front um, in the RC. And so, um, yeah, kind of what, what they're interested in and what they're looking for um, so that I, you know, can try and see what I can do on my end to make that happen.
0: Thank you, Sasha, for taking the time for this interview, and welcome to Michigan. If you'd like to reach Sasha, you can find her contact information on her faculty profile page on the RC website, lsa.umich.edu backslash RC. Thank you for listening to our latest episode of the RC Podcast. Remember to subscribe on Google Play or Apple Podcasts or your preferred app to get the latest episodes automatically. If you'd like to make a gift to the RC, you can do so on our website and click the link Give Online. We really appreciate your support. The music on this episode is called Lonesome Luke, composed by Mark Kirshenman, who you hear on Trumpet, joined by Katri Irvima on cello and Michael Gould on Percussion, all members of the RC music faculty. This is Robbie Griswold signing off.